Hebrews chapter 11, and just we're just going to jump right in. I'm not going to give a long review or anything like this. We're taking our time and going through this book, obviously, since the church started. <laughs> it's, we've been in Hebrews on Wednesday nights. The last couple of weeks we had prayer, and that was wonderful as well. But we're getting back to it tonight. And it says in Hebrews 11, verse 11, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child, or gave birth to a child, when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. So I want to talk about this Scripture for just a moment. God fulfilled the promise, but He gave this woman, Sarah, who she, God had made the promise to Abraham, and said that you and your wife, out of your own bowels, and out of Sarah's own body, He made it very clear, it's not Hagar, it's not Ishmael, it's going to come from Abraham, it's going to come from your wife Sarah, who's been barren all these years. You're going to have a son. There'll be this, uh, so many descendants you can't count. Them. They'll be like the stars of the heaven and the, and the sand and the seashore, uh, innumerable. And that nations are going to be blessed and so forth and come from Him. Well, God fulfilled the promise. We just read about it in chapter 11, verse 11. But He did it through a woman. He did it through a person. And I just wanted to touch on that just briefly. God can just zap things into being, like He did creation at the beginning of this chapter. But He's dealing with people. I thought about Samson. I don't know why I thought about Samson. But the Bible says that Samson, with the jawbone of a donkey, okay, killed a thousand Philistines. Now, who, who did that miracle? We would say God did the miracle, right? God gave supernatural strength to this man. It's not because he worked out a lot. Okay? I'm not saying he wasn't physically fit. I'm just saying the strength was supernatural. It was from God. So God did the miracle, but He used a person to do it. And He does that as well. Like He may, he may do a miracle in a church service where Buck preaches or Alberto preaches or something. But He's going he to use Alberto to do it. You understand what I'm saying? The study, the preparation... And the Lord does the miracle. And God fulfilled His promise. This woman was past the age of childbearing. She had been the past, the child of age, uh, past the age of childbearing for a long time. God did the prompt, fulfill the promise, but it says she received strength to conceive. In other words, the Lord, it was something really in her life. And by faith we receive something. By faith Sarah received strength in her old age, to have the physical ability to bear a child. Right? God did the miracle. But we receive, because the Bible says at the beginning of this chapter, in verse 2, for by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. They received something. They got something. Faith gets something from the Lord. It doesn't name its own ticket and say, God, you know, fill in the blank that I've left here for you to fill in. God gives the promise and then God fulfills it. That's true faith is going to believe what God has spoken. Amen? And so by faith, the elders, that's all of these men and women that are being listed in this chapter, and then some, okay? All the men and women of faith obtained a good report. That means a good testimony. The Lord Himself gave a good testimony to them. The Lord said, David's a man after my own heart. The Lord said, uh, the Bible says that Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. They all received this by faith in the Lord. And this woman, Sarah, received strength by faith to, to have this son, Isaac. That was the promised son. 
And so it says, how did she do this? It says, because. It was at the end of the verse. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. You know, it is okay to judge the Lord as long as we're judging him faithful. Amen? In other words, she judged him faithful. And that simply means judged means she counted or reckoned. She counted God as faithful. She reckoned God as faithful. And so remember, this is a theme through all the Bible, okay? And this, this chapter is almost like, a, a, to me, almost like a microcosm of the Bible. It's like everything focuses in on this chapter 11 of Hebrews about faith and what's, what's wrought by it, what's produced by it. And it's always something beyond the normal. It's beyond what would be natural. It's beyond what is possible with men. With, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. You can quote that Scripture all day long, but faith is going to lay hold on that and believe it. And a lost person could quote it and they could put it on the refrigerator. You know, it's big and bold and blow it up. It doesn't matter. Faith is going to lay hold on that. She laid hold on it. She judged him faithful who had promised. The Bible tells us that. Does that mean she was perfect? That never at any point in her life did she have a seed of doubt creep in? She did. We see it with Hagar, at least at that moment, and maybe other times as well. But it's like I've said before you don't judge a man or a woman or a person of God by just one little snapshot. You know? You know, uh, Chris is driving to work and he gets he gets angry at the car in front of him. Click, take a picture of Chris doing this and uh, say he's no Christian. You know what I'm saying? You don't judge it by one little moment. You judge it by the pattern of Chris's life since he gave his life to Christ. And the pattern is when he trusts God. He's keeping his eyes on the Lord. And that would be with Sarah as well. And so... I just thought it was wonderful that she judged him faithful and we can as well. Let's keep reading. We'll read verses, uh, verse 12. Therefore sprang there even of one, that's out of, out of Abraham, and him as good as dead, as many as the stars of the, of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore, by, innumerable. And so the, the promise was fulfilled. It's just exactly what God said would happen. And, and then it goes on to say, these all, the all that are listed before in this chapter, starting when it starts with Abel in verse 4, okay, all the way through Sarah and Abraham. These all died in the faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now, this is a wonderful scripture, but we, it says right here, these all died in the faith, but they didn't receive the promises. And I believe that's saying, I mean, obviously they received the promised child Isaac, right? But they didn't receive everything. Everything that Christians are, or these Old Testament saints, we'll put uh, the followers of God, okay? The redeemed of all ages. We're, we're looking for something that, in the next few verses are going to talk about this, something that's beyond anything that's in this life. The best that we're going to receive from the Lord is not going to come while we're in these earthly tabernacles in these earthly bodies. We need to know that. This, again, is where faith comes in. doesn't mean God doesn't bless us richly in this life because He does. But if we think all of it's going to come right here and now, 
And I would think this is where, say, the prosperity preaching and teachings get off. One of the one of the ways they get off, they get people's minds on focus on earthly wealth, earthly popularity, earthly power and positions. And God can and does do that. He did. Abraham was blessed in a natural sense tremendously. He was wealthy. Daniel was made prime minister in Babylon. Joseph was made second in command under Pharaoh in Egypt. It does happen. But Paul said, we're, we're mocked, we're ridiculed, we're the offscoring of the world, we're like the waste in the, in, in the people of the world's eyes. And so the, the, what he's saying is they didn't receive everything, but they died in the faith, so they're going to receive everything, okay? There's two ways a man can die. He can die in the faith or out of the faith. He can die in his sin or having his sin forgiven. And I thank the Lord that, that we can die in the faith. We're going to die. It's a point of the man wants to die, but after this comes the judgment. We want, we want to die in the faith. Right? The, all the children of Israel that came out of Egypt saw all the miracles of God and they died in unbelief. We started out the first couple of weeks in that in chapters 2 and, and 3 talking about the Israelites coming out of Egypt. They died in unbelief. And they did not enter into the promised land. But these people died having not received all the promises, but they didn't die in unbelief. They died in the faith. And that's what the Bible says about them. And so you can die in unbelief. You can die in sin. You can die uh, separated from God. You can die in the faith and, and receive the promises. Now here's what the Bible does say about them though. It says they all died in the faith, not having received the promises, but here's what, what they did have. They saw, there's four things that are listed here. They saw them afar off. Okay, they saw the promises afar off. How did they see them, y'all? They saw them by faith. That's what the whole chapter's about. They saw the promises afar off. And there's some scripture that talks about that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. He put it there, and we know it. You know, that, that, that Chinese Christian right now tonight, Okay, might be day over there. But while he's in prison somewhere because of his faith right now, for his testimony for Christ, he's, God has put it in his heart. Y'all ever pray for the persecuted church? We need to, even though we don't know him. Lift him up before the Lord. God has put it in that pastor's heart that he, there's more than that jail cell or that work camp or whatever. He's going to see his family again. He's going to see the Lord again. God has put that in the hearts of his people by faith. It says they saw these promises afar off. They weren't failures, okay? Just because they didn't receive all the promises in this life. They saw them afar, afar off. The Bible says they were persuaded of them. In other words, what God had promised. Just like Sarah judged God faithful, she was persuaded God's going to do it. All right? And this is what the men and women of God that died in the faith, they saw the promises afar off. They were persuaded of them. What did Paul say? Uh, I know whom I have believed. That's where it starts. Knowing the one in you, whom you believe. Not somebody else's God, not their faith, and trying to ride on their coattails. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep all that I've committed unto him against that day. He knew it. He's getting ready to have his head chopped off for his testimony for Christ in Rome, okay? But he says, I'm, I'm, not one thing's going to be lost that's coming my way. 
that God has for me, that God's promised for me. And not for me only, but all those that love is appearing. All right? And so he was convinced of that. And the Bible says in this verse, still speaking about the promises of God, they didn't receive them all. They saw them by faith. They were persuaded of them. They embraced them. So that means they took hold of them. There again, faith is the one that latches hold on that. Faith is, faith is that in us that will lay hold despite all human reasoning, despite all of the circumstances that are around us. And I always think about that with Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know, even if God kills me, I'm going to trust God as God and being good. My Redeemer lives. I know that He redeems. He, my Redeemer lives. I know I'll stand before Him on the, in the last day. You see how God put that eternity in His heart? He didn't have these scriptures to read. Job was probably a contemporary of Abraham. There was not a lot. I, mean, he had to, I don't know what scriptures he had. I know that, uh, but, but still, God had put it in His heart. And so they embraced them. And it says they confessed that they were strangers. This is all in this one verse. So this is a great verse to highlight. They also confessed that they were pilgrim, strangers and pilgrims on the earth. A stranger is simply this, in a foreign land. A stranger is in a foreign land. And you all know it. You've heard it. How many times have we heard that this world is not our home? And aren't you glad that this world is not our home? I'm not saying that it's not a joy to walk with Jesus through this life. It is. But aren't you glad this is not our permanent dwelling place? And that's what it means. Stranger means in a foreign land. And pilgrim means not permanent. So I'm not in my homeland. And I'm not here for long. Okay, if you live to be 115, that's a ripe old age. A very ripe old age. It's still not long, is it? When you look at eternity. And so we're strangers in a foreign land. And we're pilgrims. We're not here permanently. And just listen, you don't have to turn here, but if you're taking notes, 1 Peter 2.11, Paul actually beseeches the church that he's writing to, Christians, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which, which war against the soul. He's actually appealing to them, hey, remember, remember you're strangers here and you're pilgrims here. This is not your home and you're not here for long. So live like this is not your home and you're not here for long. Abstain from fleshly lust. They're warring against your soul. Abstain from them. Don't give in to them. They're not permanent. They're temporary. Okay, we're going to talk more about that later as we go. But let's keep reading. Let's read 14 through 16. This, this is one thought that goes together. For they that say such things, say what things? They're confessing that they're strangers and pilgrims. They that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. This is faith, y'all. If they didn't have faith in God, they would have turned around and walked away. But they believed the Lord. Okay? They believed the Lord. God had put that in their heart. And I, and I know I said it during the, yeah, the prayer, the music, even tonight, that, that we the Bible says that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But we're to provoke one another to love and good works. I'm not going to say probably anything here tonight 
or maybe any time that you've never heard before. But what it is, it's given, it's stirring us up our, our minds in a way of remembrance, like Peter says, to lay hold on these things, to get focused back in on what's important, on what's real, on what's eternal. And so this is not just the men and women of God in days gone by that we admire, and I do admire them greatly. This is an admonition and an exhortation for you and me. And if the Lord tarries and it's 50 years from now and we're still gathering together or Christians are still meeting, it will be an exhortation for them to hang on to what's for what's coming. Okay, the eternal things that are coming because we're looking for these declare plainly that they seek a country. They're just saying straight out. This world's not my home. What do you mean? Remember when Abraham and Lot, right? Lot, you choose whichever land you want. Why? Because Abraham still knew he was going to get what God had for him. He was still going to get the best. Lot chose what looked like the best. It ended up being a snare. And, and you know, in getting into all the... Not that he committed it, but getting comfortable with the sin of Sodom. But, um, but Abraham knew God's... I'm, I'm going to get what God has for me. I don't see it necessarily just from looking out here. Sure, there was a promised land out there, a physical land. But he knew he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And the Lord has prepared for them a city. He's prepared that city for us as well. It's a, this is not a fairy tale. We're not talking about legends and myths and, you know, some, what's this, you know, Atlantis, this city under the sea or some city of gold or whatever. We have a city that's promised us that the Lord has prepared for us and He's going to bring it. Uh, he's going to bring us to that. Okay? I'm just going to read a couple of quotes from some commentaries I was reading. I liked them. Faith has implanted a homing instinct in them, in the men and women of God, which can never be satisfied with the delights of Canaan. Okay? They were content to pass through this world without taking any of its character upon themselves. I really like that. They were content to pass through this world without taking any of the world's character upon them. They were still men of God, women of God, people of God, separated unto God in the world, but not of the world. And they were content. They didn't complain and murmur about it. They were content because they saw far off but these little world, worldlings around them didn't see. And faith showed them what was out there. And it was worth it. And looking around them, this holds no value to me compared to what's out there. Compared to what the Lord has for us. It says if they had been mindful, that means to exercise memory or to rehearse, they might have gone back. They would have an opportunity to go back. Didn't we see that with the children of Israel that we've talked about when God had already... And the last plague, right? That came upon the Egyptians, the death of the firstborn, and then he instituted the first Passover, and he brought them out with a high hand of God in a mighty way, and they didn't have to fire a shot or swing a sword. They just came out. It was miraculous. And then when they get out into the wilderness, the first sign of trouble, they get a little thirsty, they get a little hungry, or Pharaoh's armies are chasing them. The first sign of trouble, they're saying, we want to go back. We want to go back. <clears throat> Moses didn't say, I want to go back. Joshua and Caleb didn't say, I want to go back. They said, are you kidding me? He promised us a land that flows with milk and honey. They'd never seen it either. But by faith, they knew God had it for them. That's just in the physical sense, all right? 
what the Lord had. And so if, there, if we're mindful, let me ask you this. Have you ever been, I'm not asking for a, a show of hands, have you ever wished that you were still lost and didn't know Jesus? I have not, okay? Or you've been, maybe have, been jealous of the life you had before, the friends you had before, before you knew Christ. And, and I think it was Asaph in the Psalms said how foolish I was. I was like a dumb ox, basically, he said. I was envious of the wicked. And that's kind of what we would be. These Jews that wanted to go back to the land of idolatry, they were slaves. They, how quickly they forgot. They weren't rulers and mayors and governors and landowners. They were slaves in Egypt. And God had prepared them a city and a land, and they wanted to go back. Demas forsook the Lord having loved this present world, the Bible says. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Well, these all died in the faith, but they embraced those promises. They were persuaded of them. Mesopotamia was no longer uh, Abraham's home, okay? He was going on. You remember the story of Ruth and Orpah? You know, we always think about Ruth, and we should. She's the one that stands out. We've heard of Ruth, right? Ruth had a sister-in-law, Orpah, and they both were Moabites. And they both had an opportunity to go back when their husbands died, who were Hebrews. They had an opportunity to go back to their home and their land and their gods and their family. And Orpah said she cried some, but she went back to her home. Ruth said, no, I'm staying with you, Naomi, and you're going back to your homeland, somewhere in Israel. You're going back there. And where you live, I'm going to live. And where you die, I'm going to die. And your God, your God is going to be my God. There was a change, right? She, she didn't go back because she was persuaded of something far better. You know the outcome of Ruth? I know you know it. Ruth married Boaz. Boaz and Ruth had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse. And Jesse had a son named David. And the, and the Lord chose to be the king, okay? The king, by which all the other kings would be measured by, all right? And Jesus came from that line. Ruth went on. And we don't hear much about Orpah anymore going back. We need to, by faith, go on to lay hold. Faith is going to hope for and desire and long for and expect a better place. I think every single one in this room, we expect something better than what we're experiencing right now. Right? Heaven. But even things God has for us in our future, everything is going to be better. That God has prepared for us. And the Bible says that the Lord is not ashamed to be called their gods. Therefore. And the Bible says if we deny Him, He'll deny before men, He'll deny us before men and so forth. If we confess Him, He'll confess us. But He was not ashamed to be called their God because they were confessing Him. Not that any of them were sinless and not that any of us in this room has ever been a Christian that's been sinless even after we're saved. But we confess Him and we profess Him and we live that way as a pattern. And the Lord helps us to live that way. Amen? I want to keep, uh, keep moving on a little bit. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, now, he was tried a lot of times, but it's very clear what this one is talking about. Offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. 
of whom it, is, it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So we know the story. We don't have time to turn there and read it, but, but this had to be, of all the tests that Abraham had, I think this would probably be the hardest one. You know, to, to, to wait all those years and to finally receive the Son of the Promise. Okay, Lord, you answered my prayer. You did it. You finally gave me and Sarah that son you promised. Here's the one that through nation, nations are going to come through him. This is the one. And then the Lord says, I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice. He needs to take his life and to offer him to God. And the Bible spares us any details. I don't, I've wondered, does that mean that, that Abraham didn't have some wrestling with God or he didn't cry or anything like that? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. It just is a very matter of fact. The Lord called him to offer up his son and Abraham saddled up his donkey and him and his son went to the place God would show him, Mount Moriah. That's where the Temple Mount sits that is today and where the Muslims have built the Dome of the Rock. And uh, But he saddled up and he went. And so what was interesting to me about this trial is that this was not just Abraham wrestling with the devil, okay? This wasn't Abraham, to me, wrestling with the world, you know, worldly pulls and temptations that we have, or even Satan coming against us like Job may have uh, experienced with the devil, bringing afflictions to his body and so forth. This was just Abraham and the Lord. The Lord tried it. He was just, I want you to offer up that son that I gave you. There's not the influence of the world. There's not even the devil. I'm not saying the devil might not have been in the picture somewhere. But this was Abraham and the Lord. I want you to offer up your son, your only son whom you love. That's how he puts it. And Abraham saddles up and he goes. And this had to be the most severe test um, and in Abraham's mind, you understand, and, and I understand that in Abraham, to Abraham, Isaac was a dead man. You understand what I'm saying? He didn't physically kill him, but he was as good as dead. Because he had resolved in his heart to obey the Lord. He had resolved in his mind. It was done. Hadn't physically been done yet, but he tied him to the altar. He prepared the wood for the fire under him, he had raised the knife up and the Lord stopped him. If the Lord hadn't have stopped him, he would have done it. So he was as good as done. But I love this quote that I, I read and really, I just want you to think about it a second. The Lord spared Abraham's heart a pain that he would not spare his own. Think about that. The Lord spared Abraham's heart a pain that the Lord wouldn't spare his own heart when he offered up his son Jesus. I read that and I just had to sit and think about that for a little while. It was as good as done, but he didn't do it. The Lord did stop him. But it, it was done with Jesus. He let, him, he let sinful men and mockers and scoffers. And that would have been us. We would have been right in that crowd as well. Nail our Lord and Savior and His only begotten Son to the tree for the sins of the world. 
And greater love hath no man than this, than a man would lay it on his life for his friends. So he spared Abraham's heart of pain. He wouldn't spare his own. And so, but the Bible says that, and Isaac was 17 years old at this time. Okay? 17 years old. And the prime of, just for you a picture, a good looking, you know, I'm sure, healthy, strapping young teenage boy and young man. And he's the promised child, and the Lord calls Abraham and tested him in this way. And God, the Bible says that God counted him able. Look at the verse in verse 18, of whom it was said, or in verse 19, accounting that God was able. It's like Sarah counted God faithful and able. Abraham accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. I believe what that's saying is he did in a shadow, in a type, in a figure. Abraham did receive his son back to life. Wouldn't you say? I mean, if he, he's in his mind, he's dead. I'm getting ready to sacrifice my son to the Lord. It's done. I'm a, I'm a, I've resigned to do it. I'm obeying the Lord. And then God stops him. It's like he gave him back from the dead. And and look, keep your spot there. Just look at this in verse. Uh, turn back into Genesis. We don't have time to read the whole thing. I want to read one verse. Genesis 22. Now he, Abraham's going to the place with his son, about to offer, offer his son. Isaac does not know what's going on. He knows they're going to worship the Lord. And they have the wood for the fire, and they have the knife, and they have the fire, and. The servants are with them. And it says in Genesis 22.5, And Abraham said unto his young men, that's the servants that were with him, Abide here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder, as he's pointing to the Mount Moriah, and worship and come again to you. you I know you've noticed that before, I'm sure. I and the lad are going to go. And he doesn't say, it'll just be me coming back. He says, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. So it's wonderful how the Bible fits together. You know, even if that didn't stick out to you, by the time you get to Hebrews 11, verse 19, it says that Abraham counted God able to raise him from the dead. So we know here what he was thinking way back there at the, when, they, when it actually happened. He's counting God to be faithful to raise his son from the dead. But y'all, there's just times... And we're, we're going to move on, but just to think on that for just a moment, there are times that God will test us and He'll test us severely. And with this testing with Abraham, He didn't even beat around the bush. And I've read commentaries about it and I agree with it. Let's say that you know, one of us in here, the Lord just little by little started testing us on a little thing and see if we'll give it up maybe. And then a little more and a little deeper and deeper and finally get to the heart of the matter. He just kind of went straight for the heart. If he had said, give up all your cattle, I don't think Abraham would have cared. You understand what I'm saying? He went straight for the promise. The promise that he had waited for all in the later part of his life. And the promise that finally came. And now he's 17 years old. He'd been enjoying his relationship with his young son. And thinking about the, all how it's going to be. And yet... God just goes straight to the heart. I want you to offer up your son, your only son whom you love. And didn't fool around with any of the peripheral stuff. He went right for the heart. And um, 
God can do that and God's, God's faithful. And He wants us to trust Him. He tested Job severely, tested, tested Abraham severely in this matter and in others as well. But I thought this was interesting too. You know that when, when He was saying He counted God able to raise Him from the dead, and one commentary I was reading, I never thought about it. Up until that point, there's no record in the Bible of a resurrection. We never read it. You know, we read plenty of them through the Bible. The widow's son that was raised and different people that were raised from the dead in the Old Testament and New Testament. But up until this point, there's no record of God raising a human being from the dead. And yet, he's still counting God able to raise him from the dead. I mean, it's just awesome. I never thought about that. So Abraham died. When, by the time that Abraham died, he was tested his whole life even after this. He was 175 years old when he died. And the time he died, he still only had one son and two grandsons. Isaac had Jacob and Esau, I'm sorry. So he had one son and two grandsons by the time he died. And, and all these nations were promised. The Lord's still testing him. You know what I mean? In other words, it hadn't all been fulfilled. But has been fulfilled now. He died not having received necessarily all the promises, but he was persuaded of them and he embraced them and so forth. And that's what the Bible tells us. Y'all, this is faith. This is what faith does. This is what faith lays hold on. And again, this is not some mystical thing. It's not a feeling. It's not um, a magic trick or anything like that. It's believing what God has said despite what everything else says and what you see with your eyes. We have to lay hold on the promises of God. I want to read a little bit more. All right, by faith, verse 20, we're back in Genesis 11:20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. I just wanted to wait one mention of that. We're moving on. But... Um, we don't know, you know, see necessarily how spiritual or Isaac was. We don't know nearly about as much about his life as say Jacob's life or, or Abraham or Joseph's life. But the Bible includes him in this chapter. He was the promised child. It says, by faith he blessed his sons concerning things to come. What are we saying? There's still stuff out there. Isaac knew there was more from God out there. And I'm going to keep hammering on that because we can't get too comfortable here too content here or too discouraged here. That things are not going the way I wanted them to go. Well, hang on. Okay? Hang on. God has promises for us that, that this world knows nothing about and that are far better than what, anything we've experienced here. Isaac knew this. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning upon the top of his staff. One commentary said, Jacob's uh, character got better with age. Okay, Jacob, when you first meet him, when we first read about the Scriptures, he's a deceiver. And he that's what his name was, a surplanter or deceiver. And he's not the kind of guy maybe that you would put up in the hall of faith or, or as a role model for someone that followed after the Lord. But God is patient. God worked in the man's life. And by the end of his life, this is how his life ended. In, in Egypt, okay, remember Joseph, there was a famine and, and all, of, all of the entourage, the whole Jewish nation at that time, which was Jacob and his 12 sons and their children and so forth, 
all came into Egypt, 70 souls in all. And he, we, the last thing we see of Jacob is he's leaning on his staff and he's worshiping. That's a good ending to his life. By faith, this is how he ended. And he blessed the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay? By, by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandments concerning his bones. How would he do this other than faith? They were they were you know they weren't slaves at the time, but they were in Egypt. They were established in Egypt, and yet he knows we're not staying here. So when I die, when we get out of this place, how does he know all these things? There wasn't just like the newspaper that he read. The Lord showed him you're not staying here. This is not the promised land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac. And Jacob, okay, and so when, not if, when we leave, and I'm dead here, take my bones with you, and bury my bones in that promised land. Don't leave me here. What does he say? Future, still something out there, still something beyond. Amen. That he believed in, and faith does that. And y'all want to close with, um, I'm going to close tonight with Moses. Okay, you could preach a whole sermon on this or more on the next four verses, but read it with me, or we're going to talk about it. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. I would have to say that the faith exercised in this incident was the faith of his parents, right? But still, by faith Moses, we have to say his parents as Amram and Jochebed. That's his parents. Okay? Uh, was hid was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. That simply means he was good looking. He was healthy. He was fair. He was strong. Okay. He was hid um, because he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. You've heard it said before, if anybody fears God, then anyone who fear, he who fears God need not fear anyone else. And so they feared the Lord and they didn't fear the king's commandment. The king's commandment, we don't have time to read it, was the Hebrews were multiplying. This is years after Jacob and had died and after Joseph had died. And that's 70. And, and, and now they're multiplied and they're a bunch of people. Okay? And so they thought, wow, these people, one day they're going to they're going to be more than we are, and if they decide, they could turn on us and take over our country. These Hebrews, and so the the king's commandment was, if the the Hebrew uh, women have a woman, a girl child, a female child, spare it, keep it alive. We're not so worried about that. But if they have a man child, kill it. And it was, the commandment was given twice, and so here Moses' parents, they don't fear the commandment of the king. And they don't fear the king. They hid their child. We know the whole story of Moses. But he was such a... Uh, uh, let's keep reading this, this little passage. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. Verse 24, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And I want you to see this. as choice after choice after choice. The man made a choice. Okay? Certainly God influenced in him. God, certainly God strengthened his faith. But the person made choices. Alright? Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer afflictions with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. 
Does sin have a pleasure according to the Bible? Yes. Okay? It does. If there was no pleasure in sin, it wouldn't be a temptation to us. We'd try it once and say that was... You know what I'm saying? It wouldn't... There is pleasure in sin. But it's pleasure for a season. It's momentary. It's short-lived. The things of God are eternal. Not only are the are sinful pleasures short-lived, they never measure up in the amount of joy or satisfaction or whatever that, they, that Satan has told us that they're going to be. Never, never do they measure up. So he chose, and he made a wise choice, amen, to suffer affliction with the people of God. I want to identify myself with these Hebrew slaves and suffer as a Hebrew slave. My brothers... In, in God's nation and God's people, rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not, for fearing, the ra- not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. How did he endure? By seeing him who is invisible. How do you see someone that's invisible? By faith whole chapters about faith. I don't know if there's a person in this room that's laid eyes on the Lord and seen Him the way He really looks. The way He really is now in, in heaven. I haven't. I'm not saying you haven't. In some dream or vision or something like this. But we can know by faith. We can know. I don't have to try to picture Him and draw a picture of Him. Okay, I just know by faith He's going to be all that glorious and we'll know Him as we're known. And Moses saw Him and endured as seeing Him who's invisible. This is Satan, when he tempted our Lord on the, in the wilderness after He was baptized by John, and again, we're, we're close with this thought, but he said, uh, he says, again, the devil took Him up to exceeding high mountain and showed Him all the kingdoms of the earth and the glory thereof. And said, all these I will give unto you if you will fall down and worship Me. I'm thinking about Moses, okay? And the choices he had. Egypt was the world empire. All the bells and the whistles and the glitter and, the, and everything. And the power and the fame and people bowing down to you. And he was not only lived in that kingdom, he would have been the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And many people say he might have been in line to be a Pharaoh. Okay? But even, even so, he would have been in some tremendous position a life of luxury and leisure and power and wealth and esteem and so forth. Okay, but Satan tempted our Lord. All these kingdoms and the whole earth I'll give you if you'll fall down and worship me. And he says, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord, him only shalt thou serve. And so the, the Jesus, what is he doing? It says that he endured... Uh, Seeing the cross, he knew the cross was before him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We're going to get to that in the next chapter. So there's always something about faith. Faith is always laying hold on something better. And it's always laying hold on something that God has promised and something future. You know, it's like this little music stand. And the devil wants to sort of tempt me with what's right here and get me focused on that. When really what God has for me is everything out there. Okay? And it was that way Jesus saw it. Moses saw it. And he endured us by faith as seeing him 
who's invisible. And he laid hold on him. Amen? And, and uh, I'm going to read a couple of quotes as we close. This uh, commentary by a man named Gregory Mantle. He says, It's not the possession of things, but the forsaking of them that brings rest. Speaking about with Moses' life. Not the possession of things. He, he rejected all that. The worldly treasures of Egypt. It's not the possessing of things, but the forsaking of them that brings the rest. Jesus knew it. Didn't have a place to lay his head, right? And men and women of God have proved that through the years. And Moses was the same way. Okay? And, in the, and I'll close with this thought. Vance Habner said, Moses chose the imperishable, he saw the invisible, and he did the impossible. He didn't fear the visible king because he saw the invisible king. And instead of being found in a museum as an Egyptian mummy, he's found and famous as a man of God. So think about it. He had a choice. Instead of us going to visit him, or maybe there's a pyramid built with Moses' name, right? And a little inscription and some hieroglyphics on the side of that. We say, oh, that's pretty cool. Instead of that, or reading about him in some book, he's, uh, Moses is famous as a man of God. And that's what we want to be. And Sarah, we're still talking about. I couldn't name two Pharaohs, all right? You know, but we can all know about Moses and Abraham, and Enoch, and Sarah, and Joshua, and on and on and on. Because that by faith, they laid hold on the Lord. They had a choice to make. Ruth and Orpah. Orpah went back to her gods. Ruth said, no, I'm clinging to Jehovah God. And we know about Ruth and how the Lord blessed her and used her as well. I want you to stand with me. I'm going to close with this Scripture. So if you would turn with me to First. Timothy chapter 6. There's so much we could talk about with, um, with Moses' life and that's that passage in Hebrews 11. But look at 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16. Which in his times he shall show unto who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So it's not Pharaoh. They didn't fear the wrath of the king because they feared the king of kings who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. But guess what? We're going to approach him one day because of the righteousness of Christ that we've been robed in. We have access to come before the Lord and one day without any kind of mediator and so forth, we will see the Lord face to face. We'll be able to embrace him and it speaks of him as the king of kings dwelling in this light, unapproachable light, no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. That's what we choose by faith. And y'all, that is what we're going to experience. And the one we're going to be with and enjoy being with forever. So there's some suffering in this life. There's some hardships in this life. It's worth it. We're strangers that means we're in a foreign land. We're pilgrims. It means we're not here for long. Remember that. We're provoking ourselves with the truth of God's Word tonight to remind ourselves not to hang on too tightly to the things of the world. 
It's not a sin to be wealthy or have nice things. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Things will come and things will go. Keep your eyes on the Lord. What He has for us is established. It's set. It's there. If nobody believed it, it's still there. The promises of God. If nobody else on the planet wanted to walk with God anymore, He still has heaven for that one that will. Okay? And so we need to keep our eyes on the Lord and, and not fear this world or anything in this world and not be drawn away with those things. By faith, lay hold. Amen? So we're just going to worship the Lord. Take some time to pray. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, but just you find a spot. Call upon the Lord. If Maybe if the world's crept in and, and taken some kind of hold uh, on your life or, or your faith has gotten weak and you need the Lord to strengthen your faith tonight, to get your focus back on the uncreated God that dwells in this life that no man can approach, and yet we're going to approach Him one day. Job said, I'm going to see Him face to face myself. Let the Lord encourage you tonight. Strengthen your faith tonight. And my faith, pray over somebody else. If you're sinned, if you've gotten worldly or gotten yourself entangled up in the world, look unto Jesus the author and the finisher of your faith tonight. Like Moses endured as seeing Him who is invisible. How do we do that? Lord, by faith, we believe Your promises. We believe Your promises, God. We're persuaded of them. We embrace them. We confess that we're pilgrims and strangers here. We confess, Lord, this is not our home. We're glad that this world is not our home. We're glad we're not here for long. While we are here, use us for the glory of God. Let's be faithful men and women and young people of God that others would see the hope in us. Even though they don't know Jesus, they would know that we believe the Bible. We believe the promises of God. We're persuaded. And our life would show that. That by faith, we would obtain a good report like these elders have, God. Would you help us and strengthen us tonight? In Jesus' name, thank you.